All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew chapter number 22 will begin here uh, in verse number 34. And I'm going to get right to the message this morning. I feel like I have um, a lot to say and to lay out uh, this morning. And so I'm going to try to uh, go quickly, but be thorough. And so I hope that you'll listen thoroughly as well. Uh, and that'll help us this morning. And so God bless you all again for being here. If you're new to Victory today, it's your first time. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, thank you for taking the time to meet with us. Uh, but Matthew chapter 22 and beginning in verse number 34, uh, we're also going to go to 1 John. We're going to spend a good bit of time this morning in 1 John. So if you want to find your place there uh, and mark it, we're going to start here, go there and come back. And so <clears throat> if you... Uh, want to get your place marked, that'll help you this morning. Matthew 22, uh, and beginning in verse number 34. But when the Pharisees uh, had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I want to speak this morning on this subject simply, the great commandment. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for, again, our time together. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to gain some understanding of it that will impact our lives and that will help us to love you the way that you love us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So we look here this morning, we look at this idea of a command. We don't tend to like that term. We don't like the idea of somebody is going to command me to do something. It kind of grinds against our nature uh, and it grinds against our nature in somewhat because uh, of our Western culture and our American spirit, but it also grinds against our, our, us because we're just natural people uh, in sin. And it grinds against the sinful man, the sinful nature that doesn't like to be told this is right and this is wrong. This is what you should do, what you shouldn't do. This is what you must do and what you mustn't do. We don't like that in our nature. It grinds against us. So outside of a walk with God, it automatically... I'm, I'm bringing a negative subject matter this morning. I understand that. But it's really not. Uh, and I hope that you'll see that as we develop the message this morning. But uh, a commandment, by definition, is just simply that. It is a command. It is a mandate. An order of in, uh, or an injunction given by an authority that must be followed. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit more later, but it's important that we understand that the one that gives the command has to have the authority backing him to make the command a command. Okay, so I, you know, I have five grandchildren and my, my you know, four and six-year-old granddaughters can issue a pretty good command sometimes. They just don't have any authority standing behind it to make it a real command. Uh, and so understand this morning we're talking about these people coming to Jesus and saying what is the greatest commandment. Now you stop and you think about that, we tend to go automatically to Ten Commandments, right? And when you hear uh, commandments in the church setting and in the biblical setting and God, we think, 
the Ten Commandments. And so, uh, and we'll touch on that just briefly, but he's asking the question out of all of God's commands. And you stop and think, there are hundreds. Okay, especially by what they culturally practice, because they're practicing and what they're questioning on him here, him here on, is not just the written law, but also their spoken law. And so the law that they're trying to interimpose on people uh, unjustly uh, and to mandate on folks, so they're considering all this to be the laws of God. So they're, they're really asking the question, what is the greatest of all the commands? All of the commands of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, because they take those to be the commands of God and all of the written commands in the Word of God that are legitimately there. And now there are more than 10 that are legitimately there, all right? So it's really not important how many, uh, but there are many more than just 10 commandments. And so uh, some of them are applicable for today. Some of them are uh, ceremonial in their past. Uh, and so I don't want to get too bogged down in splitting hairs there. We just understand this morning, he's asked the question, what is the single greatest command? Isn't it interesting that the answer that he gives is not found in the Ten Commandments? He, you, you don't start in the Ten Commandments with love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, it's in the writing of Moses. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's found in a couple of other places. It's not isolated to just here, but it's not part of the Ten Commandments directly. It is in principle, but it's not explicitly or specifically. And we don't have time this morning to kind of dig through the Ten Commandments. Just if you want to mark down Exodus chapter 20, you can go there and you can find the Ten Commandments real, real quickly and, uh, and, and, and kind of check that out. So if you want to make a note to yourself there, I'd encourage you to do that. And so, but of all the commands, which are greatest? And here's the answer. He can't just answer the question with one. He has to give two. The, the, the answer is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what he's saying here is, then this is what Jesus' response is. The greatest command is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength. Mark uses the word strength instead of, uh, as, a, as a little bit of a variation there. And so uh, that's the command. But the evidence of our obedience to the command is whether we love our neighbor as ourselves. If I truly love God and I'm obedient to this command, then the fruit of that is going to bear itself out in my loving my neighbor as myself. They're inseparable. In fact, they're so inseparable that he says here, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. I preached a message from this passage in the past called the doors... Uh, that hang life's, the hinges that hang life's doors. And just kind of get that picture in your mind this morning because if you have a beautiful elaborate door, I like, the, I like things like that. I like them when I go out and I'm uh, even driving through a neighborhood or if we're out canvassing doors or knocking on doors or doing things of that nature. Uh, if we get to an area that's, that the, the homes have uh, you know, a, nice, a really nice door, that catches my attention. I, I like to look at uh, the quality of that. And I've just got like a really simple standard six panel door, a little bit of a little arch and three windows on top of it. Nothing fancy. It's what uh, are in most houses. And uh, it's, it's, an, it's a good door. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it's not, there's nothing fancy about it. But if you were to look and picture 
just a really strong, solid, elaborate, beautiful door. The law and the prophets, all that God has stated, all that God has revealed of himself to this point, and you put that and you get it up there, and it is an amazing thing to, to, to look at, and the hinges are broken, what good is it? What value does it really have? And so here's the point this morning. God says, Jesus saying, answering their question, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And if one or both of those things are broken, then everything that God has revealed about himself and everything that we know of him isn't of much value. It's not that God isn't valuable. It's that the people that we're trying to communicate the message to can't see it because all they notice is a broken hinge. Yeah, that's good. And so when we stop and we consider what Jesus is saying to them as he reveals this to them, as he's saying, listen, the law of God, the person of God, the nature of God is a spectacle to behold. But if you don't love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your spirit, your mind, everything about you, and if you don't translate that love into the proof of that love by how you treat others, then all of that just goes away. So it's an important question this morning that we need to answer. And the question is this, am I, are you obedient to God's greatest command? And is there proof to verify that? Say, Pastor, of course I am. Now I want to challenge our thinking on this this morning. So I want you to bear with me uh, because we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different look at this uh, to try to bring our mind into focus on what Jesus is trying to communicate here. We tend to read the Bible, which is an Eastern book. Uh, it is a book that is centered around Eastern culture. When you talk about the peoples of the Bible, uh, you talk about the Hebrew people, you talk about the Egyptians, you talk about the Pharisees, you talk about the Persians, you talk about the Assyrians, all the people that we find, the Greeks, all of those people that are intermingled throughout the scripture, these are Eastern cultures. So, yeah, Pastor, that's kind of obvious. But it's also less obvious to us that we tend to interpret what we read of them with a Western mentality. We try to take and what we read and understand it and apply it based upon our cultural understanding rather than the, the way that it was given. It takes a lot more work to do it that way. But the only way we're really ever going to understand what God is trying to communicate to us is if we go back and take and consider not just the context of what's written, but the context of the culture that it was written to. So question, again, am I obedient to God's greatest command? I think most of us would say, yeah, I love the Lord. Therefore, because I love the Lord, I'm obedient to his command. But our love is corrupted. And this is a point that I want to kind of challenge our thinking on a little bit. Because I can say to myself and I can reconcile in my heart, yes, I love God. I love God with all my heart. I've given my life to ministry. Well, we've spent our entire, uh, practically our entire married life serving the Lord and serving his people in ministry. We love the Lord with all of our heart, but is that what God would say? See, the thing is, is that if I can reconcile in my mind that I love God personally with all my heart, mind, and soul, I'm therefore going to act accordingly. 
I'm going to interpret everything that I read about him accordingly. But the real question is not whether or not I think that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul. But does God say that I love him with all my heart, mind, and soul? So when we stop and we think about what Jesus is actually communicating here. He's saying to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Now here's our problem. We tend to base our definition of things upon our life experience. In other words, how I've been loved tends to determine how I define love. If I have to, we have to realize this morning that what we experience, especially very early in life, is imprinted deeply upon our souls. I, I used to, uh, when I was, one of my jobs whenever I was uh, in the military was whenever we had people retiring and we had to give away some kind of a, of a gift, we would, we would make a lot of plaques and we'd do a lot of things like that. And I would generally go to the CBs and have them make the plaque and do whatever. Uh, but I had to do all the engraving on the metal plate that went on. And so we had, uh, we had a machine that would lay that down and I would just basically take a stencil that was, had the, the lettering that we wanted to use and the font that we wanted to use on it, uh, where it was imprinted on there. And I just kind of traced, and the machine did all of the engraving on the plate. Uh, it was imprinted there. Uh, if you if you ever have been around, uh, and, and most people today haven't, but a, a kind of a die shop, and, and you know what I'm talking about, uh, you would have stamps in a die shop, and you get ready to work on something in, in the metal and industry, and you'd take that, that die, and you'd put it against the metal, and you'd hit it real hard with a hammer so that it would put an impression in the metal so that you could work from that. It's imprinted there. How we have experienced things in life imprints that on our soul. Therefore, we tend to subconsciously define everything by that standard. For example, if we understand uh, that love that's been given to us, that's been impure, that's corrupted, if we, we can understand intellectually that this isn't real love, but it tends to be how we interpret love. I have a family member who uh, was adopted at a very early age. And that family member before his adoption was abandoned. And I remember whenever he was brought into the family, I remember spending a lot of time together and, uh, and especially early on. Uh, and so he was brought in, he was made part of the family he was loved unconditionally. There was no distinction between him and, and anyone that was naturally born into the family. Uh, and so, but as a very, very young child, uh, um, even pre-preschool kind of age, uh, he had been abandoned. To this day, in his probably 50s now, he still has abandonment issues. For three years maybe, he experienced love of abandonment. For the rest of his life, at least getting to adulthood, it was nothing of the sort. It was a very loving environment. But he never got past. You look at, and we deal a lot from time to time with, uh, with ladies in particular that are coming from abusive relationships. 
Isn't it amazing how women who are in very abusive relationships tend to go back to abusive relationships? Because in a warped kind of a way, they interpret abuse as love. Why? Because no abuser would say as they abuse their spouse that they don't love them. At least most wouldn't. If you were to sit down and counsel with someone who has been through those hardships and say uh, you, that, that parent that abandoned their child at an early age and you ask that parent, did you love your child? How could you have abandoned them if you love them? And they may have a, a reason of, well, I knew I couldn't provide. I knew that, that would be better for them. They would be better taught or they would be better cared for. Or they would be. And that's not an illegitimate reason to give a child up for adoption. I'm just saying this morning that when you take someone that is getting to be where they've lived long enough to kind of have that impressed upon them, that that is a scar that we're going to carry for life. Uh, someone that, is, that has been loved abusively, someone that's in a selfish relationship. Someone where the interpretation of love is you bowing to and meeting my every need while I basically don't care about any of your needs. Uh, a relationship where it's all about what I can get out of it without having to put much of anything into it. Those types of relationships, those, the spouse, whichever one is, is the offender, is generally going to say, I love my spouse. Because they probably had those types of issues when they were a child growing up. And that's how they were taught to love. And that's how they experience love. And therefore, that's how they show love. And so if I came from that environment and I asked myself the question, do I love God? There are a couple of things at play here. Number one, I'm going to say, if I selfishly give myself to God, if I abuse the things that God, uh, I know that God wants me to do or how God wants me to live my life or the principles by which I should live my life, that, and I'm, I, I'm kind of abusive with them and my attitude about them or careless with them, uh, then I, am I really loving God? In my mind, I am, because that's how I've experienced love. And if I'm, and you see a lot of times, even in, uh, in ministry, uh, leaders that are abusive and they're, uh, and they're degrading and they're, uh, the way that they handle people and the way that they uh, speak to people and treat people. Uh, in many cases, they really sincerely believe that they're loving their people and they're doing, but it's not perceived that way. But in their mind, but that's what, that's what they know. And that's my point this morning. That if I come from such an environment where that's the way that I've experienced love. It's very difficult to ever get to the point where I don't interpret love in that way, subconsciously. Intellectually, I know that it's not right. But emotionally, I'm drawn to my, to my default position. I hope that I'm making sense this morning and that we're following along. When we look and we understand that, that how we are loved defines how we, def how we interpret and understand love, then that's the way that we in turn love. Now here's the real danger. If I'm someone that has imprinted on my soul that abuse is love, then I'm going to interpret the love that I'm receiving from God, I'm going to interpret God as an abuse of God. I'm going to interpret God as a selfish God. I'm going to interpret God as an abandoning God, even though I know intellectually that he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But any time that I don't feel that he's close, I'm going to say, God abandoned me. 
when I'm down, when I'm in my stress, when I'm stressed, when I'm in a bad position, uh, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tend to that. So this is not love. And when we look and we consider the question, do I love God? Does God love me? My, my immediate response is yes. But am I interpreting love by my understanding of it or by God's? Because God, Jesus didn't say, love God the way that you've learned to love. He's implying love the way that God's loved you. And so when we consider this, consider that our impression of love doesn't matter when determining our obedience to God's command. It doesn't matter if I've convinced myself that I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. It matters does God recognize that my love is with all my heart, mind, and soul. The love of God is the standard by which we'll be measured, not the love of man. It's God's love, not our love. Now I want you to consider this morning uh, how he says this and how he responds to this also in Mark chapter 12. Uh, and so in Mark chapter 12, this is a parallel passage here, in verses 28 through 23, it's essentially the same, uh, almost word for word, but not exactly. And then notice in verse 28, again, he's asking the, answering the question. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? What's the greatest commandment here? It's not asking the first of the Ten Commandments, the first of all commandments. This transcends the, the, the giving of the law. Uh, and so which is the first commandment? And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He's one. And thou shalt love him. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And again, he can't stop there. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So now we come down. All of the sacrificial system that we've put out here fall apart if I don't love God with all my heart and I don't love my neighbor uh, as myself. Barnes notes on, uh, on the, the Gospel of Matthew put it this way in this, about this text. All true obedience depends upon our correct knowledge of God. If I don't correctly know and understand God and who he is and what he is, then I will never be fully obedient to him. And my obedience is conditioned upon understanding. Put it this way. Uh, you know, I'll go back to my grandchildren for a moment. I can look at, uh, at my, uh, my four-year-old granddaughter and I can say, hey, Brooklyn, uh, and so I, I want you to go uh, and I want you to go over to the other side of the room and there can be some stuff all scattered out over there and I want you to bring me this specific thing. And she can go over there, well-intentioned, pick up the opposite of what I asked for and bring it to me and be all satisfied and be all happy about what she's brought me. But it's not what I asked her to get. It's not what I commanded her to get. Now, 
Is she obedient? In her mind, she was obedient. And she sincerely tried to be obedient. But in reality, she wasn't obedient. She wasn't rebellious about it. She just misunderstood the command. If I would understand the command of God, I must understand God. I must have a proper, correct knowledge of him and who and what he is. Barnes continues to say, none can keep his commandments who are not acquainted with his nature, his perfections, and his right to command. If I'm not willing to, to acknowledge that God has every right to command and order my life, then I'm never going to love him with all my heart, soul, and mind. So let's break down the command. We're going to understand correctly the command. Uh, and so I'm going to run through this a little bit quickly uh, so that we can stay on time and really get to the, the bulk of the message this morning. Uh, but let's understand the command. So what is the command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and Mark said strength. So what are we talking about here? The heart is with all our faculties and power. And again, this is essentially coming from primarily the same commentary. With all our faculty and power, to love God supremely more than all other beings or things, and with all the ardor, which just simply means enthusiasm or passion, that's possible. To love God passionately. To, to, to focus upon Him supremely. Above all else, more than my wife, more than my children, more than my grandchildren, more than my family, more than my job, my career, more than my lands and my heritage. I love God supremely, but he doesn't stop there. To fix our affection supremely on him. Now, I know most of us would say, yeah, I love God with all my heart. But how much time is our affection actually fixed upon him rather than upon everything else in our life? Uh, and it's not, I'm not saying this morning to neglect those important things. I'm saying that we have to have the right understanding and order in which those things are to fall. Uh, and so it also means uh, to love him or fix our attention more strongly than on anything else. And here's the, ki here's the kicker right here. And to be willing to give up all that we hold dear at his command. If I love God with all my heart, I'm willing to give up everything at his command. Everything that I love. Everything that I hold dear. If he says, walk away from that. If he says, get up and go here. If he comes to you like he came to Abraham and says, I want you to just pick up and I want you to move away. And I want you to go that direction. And when you say where, he says, I'll let you know when you get there. Then that's okay. Okay, God, I'm going. Okay, truck's loaded. Which way should I go? Uh, well, let's go up Highway 59 for a while. Get to 20, Interstate 20. Well, hang a right. And head east for a while. Uh, and then whenever you get over to about uh, uh, to, uh, to 49, uh, bounce on up into Texarkana. Get on 30, go up through Little Rock. And just, I'll, I'll let you know when it's time to change directions. Well, I'm at the ocean. Okay, see that big boat over there? Park on that for a while. See where it takes you. If I'm willing, if I love God with all my heart and God says, leave it and go here. At his command, I'm willing to go. Now, he says, with all thy soul. What does that mean? That means with all thy life. To be willing to give up my life to him and to devote it to his, all his service. To live for him 
and to be willing to die, and here it is again, at his command. If I love God with all my heart, I'll leave everything behind and go at his command. And if I love God with all my soul, I'm willing to lay my life down for him at his command. It's not a matter of thinking, hey, God is going to come and require your life. He has done that to a few over time, but not many. Doesn't matter whether he's going to or not. It's my willingness. If I love him, I'm willing. Let me put it in this context. If we were invaded as Ukraine is being invaded right now, would you stay and fight even though you knew that you were probably going to die for love of country or would you flee? Now, though those, those that are unable, women and children, of course, should flee. But an able-bodied man on the face of enemy, am I going to say that I love my life more or I love my nation more? I love my freedom more. Amen. Am I willing to step in and fight? That, this is kind of the idea in the context here. And so I'm willing to die at his command. If God came to me and said, I want you to do this, and I look and say, God, if I do that, they're going to kill me. He said, I know, I'll give you grace, but I need to make a statement so that it can be written in the word of God or in our time so that it can be an impact on the lives of others to show them truth. Am I willing to lay it down? If I'm not, I don't love him with all my heart. I don't love him with all my soul. It's a strong statement that Jesus is making here. With all thy mind. Meaning to submit the intellect to his will, to leave his law, to love his law and gospel more than the decisions of our own minds. And so when I love with all my mind, I'm simply saying, this is my dream. This is my ambition. These are my goals. And if God were to come in and say, I know that those are the things you want to do and those are good things, but this is what I want you to do. And this is how I want you to do it. That I would just say, at your command, Lord, I'll do it. Your will takes precedent over mine will. Jesus was that example to us when he went to the cross and he said, in uh, the garden, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, thy will, not mine, be done. And so when we talk about the mind, it's submitting my intellect or will to his. And then in Mark, he said strength, which simply the difference here is that he's, he's wrapping this together with all the faculties of the soul and the mind. So with all of this coming together, all of my, uh, my strength together, uh, I love God and will follow his command. Now let me ask the question again. Are we obedient to the command to love God with all of our heart? Well, all of our soul. With all of our mind, with all of our strength. Not by my counting, but by God's. If God were to look down and say, you love me, would he be able to say, you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Here's perhaps a better question. How can I love God in such a way? Because God is putting something out. Jesus is putting something out. I almost, when I'm reading this and studying this, my mind keeps going to the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And he said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and do this and come back. And he left with a heavy, saddened heart. 
If we're honest this morning, how many of us would have to say, uh, and don't, don't raise your hand and answer the question, but I wonder if we'd be honest with ourselves and the Lord this morning, how many of us would say when asked the question with this understanding, do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, that I would have to hang my head and say, I want to love you, Lord, that way. But how many of us would have to walk away saddened? So when we understand and we look here, consider this. That's a strong command. Okay, pastor, so what you're saying this morning is that if I'm going to love God, I have to decide that I'm going to go do all these things. That's not exactly it. We're getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. Bear with me. Love is an emotion. God is commanding me to love him in such a way. But love is an emotion. Love has to do with how I genuinely and sincerely feel about something, not just how I think about it. And so what God is commanding us to do is to love him that way. Now, I can do those things and not love him. I don't think many people would do those things if they didn't love him. But it's at least plausibly possible to say that I would go and do it because I know that it's the right thing to do and I'm honorable. There are a lot of people that, uh, you know, at certain area, eras of, uh, of our nation's history that perhaps were drafted into the military and were sent to a conflict that they didn't support, didn't believe in the cause, didn't, and they died and they gave their life because that's what was required and what they had to do. That, that's tantamount to this. Would you say that they, uh, that they really loved their country and willingly sacrificed? No, they didn't have a choice. They just went. So when we consider this, understand that love is an emotion. And God's command is to love. But God is, is describing to us what the result of loving him is going to look like. If I truly love him, I will love him with all my mind. If I truly love him, I will love him with all my heart, with all my soul. It's not just doing. Motive must be pure. It's not about a checklist. It's about, do I love God? Do I serve him? Listen, if I truly love the Lord and God comes to me and says, I want you to leave your job or I want you to leave this or I want you to let that go and do this, it's really not even a sacrifice because I'm doing it because I love him. I can do it because I have to and it's right begrudgingly and bitterly and it can cause a division between my relationship with God or I can love him and do it with joy. Do I love him? So how do I begin to comprehend this kind of love? So we're going to go to 1 John for just a little bit here this morning. In 1 John chapter number 3. And here's the thing. And I, I refer back to when we started this morning. We define love based primarily upon how we've received love. If we received an abuse of love, we'll interpret genuine love with that contamination factor in it. Or selfish love with that contaminating factor in it. So I have to understand God. And I have to understand the purity of God and the purity of God's love. So how can I begin to understand? Well, I've got to look and see what real love looks like. What does God's love look like to me? 
So consider the comprehension of this love. In 1 John chapter 3 uh, and verses 1 through 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He's going to get the picture here. Behold, what manner of love that the Father, that God in heaven has bestowed upon you, that he's let you become his child. When he looks and he understands and he says, hey, I understand that you're coming from a world in which love has been corrupted and love has been ruined and love has been, uh, it's hard to understand what genuine true love is. Behold how I have loved you. You're no longer on the outside. You're no longer a castaway. You're no longer, uh, you're no longer a bother that I'm obligated to care for. You are my child. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So consider this morning the explanation of God's love. What is the explanation of God's love? He's given it to us here. First of all, I would say we are become the children of God. We are born into his family and we are adopted into his family. It's an old Roman practice in the culture of the day where their children would be born and they had all rights to the family by birth. But whenever they became adults, generally as an early teenager, when they were considered in that rite of passage, they would oftentimes often also be adopted into the family. Reason being, a natural born child can be disowned, but even in our law here in the West today, an adopted child can never be cast aside. So God is coming in his, in his description throughout the word of God of us being born a child of God and being an adopted child of God. He is reaffirming to us that I love you and I can never cast you aside no matter what you do, no matter how you fail, no matter how you displease me. It's not about uh, the, what we do. It's about the position that's been bestowed upon us. I have bestowed my love upon you and have made you my child. Consider also that not only are we become the children of God, but that we are, become, we are becoming changed into his image. He didn't just leave us the way that we were. He's transforming us into the image of the Savior. Notice in verse 2, uh, he said, Now are we the sons of God, and it, doth not, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We're going to be like him. He's transforming and changing our lives. Notice thirdly about this, then the explanation and understanding his love. You are become his children. We become changed. We're becoming changed into his image. That's a continual process. And then thirdly, we are compelled to be like him. And when I say compelled, I don't mean co coerced. I mean that we want to become like him because of the love that we're experiencing. Genuine love compels reciprocal love. 
I love because I'm loved. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Now, let me kind of give an illustration of this. We'll move on to our second point this morning. If I want to understand what he's trying to communicate here and what he's saying here in this verses in 1 John, uh, the best way that I can think to describe this is this. If I were to load up this morning in my truck and drive down uh, to, I haven't been down there in a while. I assume that this, 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 the encampment's still there. But if I were to load up this morning and drive down uh, or uh, over to Houston and get up to 59 South and, uh, and then get off at Minute Maid Park and go to uh, the huge homeless encampment that's generally, or at least the last time I was there, was up under the, the highway there and I was going there for the intent and the purpose of finding someone that I could love finding someone that I could rescue finding someone that I could teach and that I could train and that I could change their life and I were to go there and I were to get out of my truck and I were to just get a chair and I were to just sit there and I were to just observe and occasionally offer an act of kindness occasionally engage in conversation until I finally found someone that was willing to say, hey, why are you here and what are you doing? And uh, as we conversed, I was able to converse to them that, well, what I'm really trying to do is say, uh, I'm looking for someone who genuinely, sincerely is looking for uh, not, a, a, not a handout, not just a roof over their head, but someone that's willing to have their life completely transformed. You understand this morning that if you go down there, uh, that a lot of people that, are, that live that way live that way because they choose to, not because they have to. We've had folks that have come to church here for a while that uh, were staying with family and they were trying to get their life in order. And finally, they just got to the point where they just said, you know what, uh, literally, pick me up, drive me to this location and drop me off at the homeless encampment. I want to live there. They wanted to go back to that way of life. Now, that's beyond many of our comprehension. Why would anybody want to live that way? But I'm just telling you this morning, some people choose to. So if I go down there and I'm looking and I'm searching and I engage in conversation and I find someone and what I explain to them is this, I'm going to bring you into my home and I'm going to give you my name and I'm going to adopt you into my family and I'm going to make you an equal heir with all my children and I'm going to teach you a trade and I'm going to show you how you can make a living. And I'm going to expect that you're going to receive that. And that you're going to respond in kind. That is essentially what God has communicated to us. I'm not waiting for you to go to school. I'm not waiting for you to take a shower. I'm not waiting for you to turn around. I'm not waiting for you to make progress. I'm coming to you where you are, in the condition that you are, in all your filth, in all your hopelessness, in all your unworthiness, in all of your undesirableness. I am coming to you and I am seeking you out. And I'm going to bring you to my home. And I am going to clean you up. And I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you what's valuable. I'm going to teach you how to have honor. I'm going to teach you how to have respect. And I'm going to give you my name. And I'm going to make you a joint heir with my son. You're part of my family. And nothing can ever change that. That's the love of God. And when I understand the explanation of God's love, behold, you're my child and I'm going to change you into my image and I am going to compel you to be like me. Not because you feel coerced, but because what you experience is so overpowering that it draws you to me and it makes you want to become me. Secondly, consider the expression of God's love. 
God says, let me explain my love to you. This is what it's going to look like. Now let me express my love to you. It's one thing for someone to say, I love you. It's another thing for someone to express love. God didn't say, hey, here's my explanation. Get excited about it. He said, let me express it to you. Should have noticed in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 and down through verse number 10. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. God looks and he says, let me express my love to you. My love is unconditional. Notice in verse number nine again. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that he might live, that we might live through him. His love is unconditional. He didn't come and say, I'll love you if. He came and said, I'm going to love you whether you accept me or not. I'm going to love you whether you choose to reject me or not. I come to love everyone. I've come to love all souls that have ever been or ever will be born. I have died and I have paid the price for every sin ever committed. So pastor, if that's the case, then why do some people spend eternity in hell? Because they rejected what Jesus did for them. He didn't force it upon them. He expressed it. And they either believed or didn't believe. And he expressed it unconditionally. Not only did he express it unconditionally, but he, his expression is, is unrestricted. He said, I'm, I'm going to express it. It's unrestricted. It's for everyone. I'm, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we look and we understand his expression of love is my love is unconditional and my love is unrestricted. And then in verse 10, he offers himself on Calvary's cross. He sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. His love is sacrificial. God didn't come to earth. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm going to love you because I can get service from you. I'm going to love you because I can get worship from you. I'm going to love you because I can get you to do my work. I'm going to love you <coughs> because I can, uh, I can do this or get this or I can make this happen. He said, listen, he can do all that without us. He said, I'm coming to express my love to you. And I don't care about what I can get. I care about what I can give. And genuine love, pure love, cares about what it can give, not what it receives in return. God gave Jesus with nothing held back. He gave him and he loved us with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength on Calvary's cross. He came and said, let me explain my love to you. I'm going to make you my child. How is that possible? It's possible. And I'm going to express to you my love by coming to you where you are and paying your debt 
and paying for your sin and making things right so that you can be a child of the Father. Then consider thirdly the exhibition, the exhibition of his love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we all know the verse well. We love him because he first loved us. I learn how to love him by being loved by him. I don't have to learn how to love him by reading about it in a book, though I'm grateful that I can read the book and understand how he loves. I can experience his love. And as I experience his love, that love compels me to want to love him. I want you to consider this morning in the exhibition of that love, that he exhibited that love from creation. Let us make man in our image. He knew what was going to happen. He could have easily said it's not worth the cost. But he loved us. Consider what he told Jeremiah in chapter 1 of Jeremiah's prophecy in verse number 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, he said to Jeremiah. You understand this morning that this isn't just about mankind. This is about us individually. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he loved you. Before you were even, before you were even big enough to understand anything, he was displaying and he was looking for ways to convey his love to you. He exhibited that love at creation. Then he exhibited his love on the cross. In Hebrews chapter number 12 and uh, verse number 2, uh, the Bible tells us there that looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and I love this part of the verse, who for the joy that was set before him uh, endured the shame, dis, or endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Understand this morning that the love of Christ was exhibited when he said, I'll create you and I know you and I know you're going to fail and I know sin's going to come, but I'm going to go to the cross because you are going to be in my relationship with you and your relationship to me throughout eternity, the joy of all of eternity. Think about that for a moment of the billions of stars, of the beauty of nature, of all that God created. He says the joy of God, the creator is a relationship with you. That's what he wants. That's what he's longing for. That's what he's compelling us to. He exhibited that love in, on the cross. He exhibits that love today through the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't love your wives like Christ who took from them. Love like Christ who gave himself for it. He exhibits it through the church, through our church family. He exhibits it in companionship. Again, in Hebrews chapter number 13 uh, and verse number 5, uh, whenever he says this, uh, he said, Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Listen, the love of God will never leave you. God can never leave us. Nothing can separate us, the Bible tells us, from the love of God. So let's consider what we're talking about here this morning. The explanation of God's love. I'll make you my child. I'll change you into my image. I'll, I'll 
be completing you and drawing you to become like me. I'll put a desire in your heart to receive it. I've expressed my love to you unconditionally and sacrificially. Uh, and I'm, uh, it's not restricted. You can have it all. And I've exhibited that love to you at creation and on the cross and through the church and through my companionship ongoing with you. I've done all of this because I love you. My love has not been abusive. My love has not been selfish. My love has not been coercive. My love is pure and genuine. And I have loved you with all of my soul and with all of my heart and with all of my mind and with all of my strength. And I demonstrated it throughout the Old Testament and the prophets and I've demonstrated it through the blood of Christ on Calvary's cross and on all of the everything that I had to communicate is going to be communicated or not based upon whether or not you've received my love and love like I've loved you. Again in Matthew in our text this morning on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And what I'm saying this morning is we conclude that unlike human love that's imprinted on our souls in all of its imperfection, God's perfect love, pure, unfailing, and unconditional, and the experiencing of such love can be imprinted on our new soul, on our newborn spirit, can be imprinted upon us so that we can learn to love like he loves. Again, don't miss the point this morning in this regard. I'm not saying this morning, go and do all of these things and it proves that you love God. I'm saying this morning, that if I truly understand God's love for me, I will be compelled to love him in the way that he commands me to love him. And if I do that, it's going to manifest itself in the way that I love others. And how does God love the world around us? Through us. How does God show them his love through us? Listen, Christian, if your love this morning for God is selfish, if your love for your spouse is selfish, if your love for God is to abuse his word, to abuse your spouse, I don't think we've got anybody here that would be physically abusive to their spouse, but I think that sometimes we can be mentally and we can be emotionally abusive and not even realize it. If that's the way that I love, then I'm communicating to the world around me, to my own family close at hand, that this is the way that love is and what God intended, and it's not. God loves purely. God loves powerfully. And God's love does not push me and repel me away like selfish love does. God's love doesn't drive me from home like abusive love does. God's love compels me to draw close to him. God's love makes me want to pull up beside him. God's love makes me want to lay my head upon his shoulder. God's love makes me want to say, God, no matter what you ask, it will be my joy and my honor and my privilege to do it because it gives me an opportunity to show you that I love you like you've loved me. What is the great commandment this morning? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is likened to it. And on all these hang all the law and the prophets. Do you love him with all your heart? And if we were to interview God this morning, God tell me, do I love you with all my heart? 
how would he respond?